what we've got here is failure to communicate. From sunny Southern California, we bring you Meet Bridget, a podcast for building confident communication and female badassery. We spotlight women who have bridged the gaps in their lives by building strong relationships and speaking their teenage dreams into reality. Welcome back to Meet Bridget. Thank you so much for joining us for another interview episode. For those of you new to the show, I'm Kashia Rosenberg. And I'm Asha Gabriel. And together we run a confidence and communication platform for teen girls called Bridget. You know, something comes to mind when I was like probably about 13. I painted clouds on my ceiling above my bed, and then I printed out a whole list of opportunities that I wanted to check off. And I was super specific. I mean, I like had every single job that I'd ever wanted to do written down, typed up, and I put it on my ceiling along with a check that I wrote out to myself. That clip was from today's guest of the show, Daniela Monet. You may know Daniela Monet for her childhood acting fame, particularly for her 12 years, yes, 12 years on Nickelodeon hit shows, including, but not limited to, Zoe 101 and Victorious. These days, many feel like she's their best friend because she so authentically shows up for her millions of followers on Instagram, YouTube, and her podcast, Adulting Like a Mother Father, with her partner, Andrew. A two-time vegan mommy, Daniela stretches the mold for what a passionate woman can accomplish, managing her family, her viral platform, and her many, many successful business ventures, all while keeping it so, so real. In this episode, we take it way on back and reflect with Daniela on her childhood and teen years. Themes that emerged are the power of the abundance mindset, what it's like being an introverted extrovert in the public eye, staying humble and open and embracing your quirky inner child through life's ups and downs. Without further ado, let's dive in and meet Daniela Monet. For those of you guys who don't know, Daniela has been with us for many of our events, especially some of the really early ones. It's always been incredibly special. So to have you here with us again today or this evening is, it's like the culmination of everything like wonderful that we've been waiting for. And when we were prepping for this, Asha and I were both saying like, why does this feel so special? And we we're like, oh yeah, I just think that every time we get together with you, we remember how much your values align with ours and how it's always been a very natural sync up. And so I think tonight's going to be pretty special. Hmm, That makes me feel so, so good. Yeah. Ask me anything now. (laughs) Okay. Amazing. So we like to start by talking about formative experiences. And one of the ways in which we do that is we really dive into your early years, specifically the teen years. So we usually like to talk about a day in the life of Daniela as like a 13 or 14 year old, but you have lived a life very much in the spotlight, especially, you know, as a young actress. So tell us a little bit about, you know, maybe what a typical day for you would look like. Sure. Um, I mean, I remember 13, 14 pretty well. Those were like really pivotal years for me. I was in middle school. And I was a quirky kid. Now that I look back, I'm like, whoa, dressed 
to the T, like Avril Lavigne, <laughs> and would befriend just about everyone, which is odd because I'm actually quite an introvert. Um, but in school, it often felt like I feel on set where I have to like perform and entertain people. And so even just saying that out loud, I've never actually correlated those two, but it always felt like I had to be on at -hmm. school. Everyone, I wanted everyone to like me. I wanted to get along with everyone. And I took school very seriously, but I took acting just as seriously. And what I remember most about being 13 in middle school was feeling so conflicted because I wanted to be so good at both. And it was really, really challenging because I wanted to be in the advanced classes. I probably was not smart enough to be in the advanced classes, but I was in some of them and I probably shouldn't have been, but I wanted to like outperform myself. But at the same time, I wanted to really, I guess, outperform in acting and I was auditioning Mm -hmm. at the same time. And when I started to, I mean, I don't know how deep you want to go. Let's go deep. Go all the way. <laughs> I mean, it's it's pretty. I mean, I don't know. I kind of went through the gamut emotion wise mm-hmm. at that point in my life. But I looked at acting as kind of an escape at that point. My lack of focus in school started to wear really like heavy on me, um, mm-hmm. and I didn't like not doing well, plain and simple. And so acting was like my everything. And at the same time, I was up for quite a few big projects at the time. Um, One was a, I had auditioned for Hannah Montana and tested for that against Miley and Taylor Momsen. And then around that same time, I was up for, I think it was the reboot of all, or no, it was when all that was sort of at the end of its days. Mm -hmm. I forget what other show. And I remember thinking that those were all I Mm -hmm. had. Yeah. All I absolutely had to get out of school, my grades were slipping. And when those didn't go, kind of like in so many ways, when I think back, like felt like I lost my Mm. mind. So I kind of felt like the last couple years of middle school was me trying to like pick up the pieces and find my next big escape. I don't have great fond memories of being 13. I think that's something that's pretty common amongst a lot of 13 and 14 year olds, the not feeling like they were great years because it's technically such an awkward stage for so many people. But I realize you already had a career. So not only are you a young teen trying to attend school and have some semblance of a normal life where you're just, you know, creating these pathways for success for yourself, but you're also juggling an actual full-time career. So, I mean, that's a lot of pressure. Yeah. I mean, I had been doing it since I was, gosh, five years old. So I had, yeah, I think I had some consistency. But what I wasn't expecting was the amount of energy and focus that middle school would require. Like for me, I don't know if I'm alone on this, but I remember graduating fifth grade and thinking, oh no, (laughs) what's next? Because for me, sixth grade, like was either going to be really exciting and it was, but it was also overwhelming because it was so much bigger than middle at, from elementary school. And I felt like I was thriving mm-hmm. in elementary school. And I don't know. I just I couldn't quite find myself those years. So you said you, you had started acting when you were about five. Was that mostly like commercials? Yeah. And, and what was like your very, do you remember your very first audition? Yeah, I remember like a handful of them mm-hmm. vaguely. I don't know what was my very first, but yeah, yeah, I do. And I was about five years oh. old and I did 
commercials until I was probably 11 or 12. Had you like expressed an interest in that to your parents to like start going to auditions or? Yes, I think I knew what it was. Mm -hmm. Um, Ultimately, it just came down to me being just a very outgoing Mm -hmm. kid. And I grew up in outside of Los Angeles. And so it was kind of something normal for the most part. Mm -hmm. And so it did fit my personality. Um, But I don't think I would have thought of it on my own. I was pretty young. When you were starting to like your career is picking up and you were doing more of like the TV stuff and everything. What was like the dynamic with other other kids at school? Like was it were there other kids at your school that were doing the same thing? Or did it really make you feel different? So no, I didn't feel like I related to anyone around me. I always kind of felt like I didn't want to be there. I didn't belong. Um, but I'm sure, like you said, that that age is kind of weird. Everyone's trying to figure out, you know, where they really belong. But for me, school, even in elementary school, I was always, I, I didn't quite feel grounded. Maybe that has to do with just more than just school, just who I, my personality, what was going on at home, who knows. But I remember when I started to like pick up some steam and and have a little bit of success and had some more consistency with work. I just ultimately, I felt like I had to be homeschooled at that point. Mm-hmm. It was way too hard for me to be gone for a week or weeks at a time and then come back and feel so out of the loop. And that's kind of how I felt even as a kid because I was in and out for commercials and that could be mm-hmm. why I wasn't ever settled because um, I was so in and out mm-hmm. of it all the time. Well, especially if like you were mentioning feeling like school was sort of a performance as well. I think like I can mm-hmm. kind of relate to that being like an introverted extrovert is that it's like when you're on you love it and you're like in the moment and kind of in that performance mentality but then you have to have like your retreat time to kind of fill yourself up and have you know you like your foundation um, re-energized so if you have school and then you're also performing for a job it's like when when do you have time to just be especially because you're doing it as a kid when do you have time to be a kid yeah. 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 Which can yeah. we go back for a second? You mentioned sure. you were a very quirky kid. What do you mean by quirky? Mm, it probably has a little to do with the fact that I felt like I needed to entertain. I always wanted to stand out, which has its own responsibility. You know, now thinking back, I'm like, man, that was a lot of work. I was always trying to outdo, you know, the next outfit it was always a, a whole show. And I don't know. I just felt like I, I was, I was pretty creative as a kid, I guess. And I just Mm -hmm. wanted to always, I don't know, show my creativity in some way, shape or form. So yeah, that's probably why I felt pretty quirky. I didn't necessarily fit in with like the girls. I kind of fit in more with the guys, but then like, you know, then there's the crushes and the, this that complicates things. Mm -hmm. So I just never knew where I fit in. So I hung out with a lot of like my family and like older people that maybe I had worked with or whatever. I remember you saying, so you're from an Italian family and you have a, a lot of cousins, right? And you the mm-hmm. oldest of your cousins. Yeah. Do you think that like, how was your, like your home life, your immediate family, extended family? What were your kind of d- dynamics at home? So I have a brother mm-hmm. and um, it was, you know, my brother and I, and then we have our cousins. Of course, I was the oldest at home. Things were, you know, pretty normal for the most part. I was really, really lucky to grow up in a neighborhood that had kids everywhere. So I didn't quite fit in at home, but I felt at home when I was, I mean, sorry, I didn't quite fit in at school, but I have felt like at home when I was at home. And and some of these kids are still kids that I talk to to this day, just 
really real people. And we had such fun times just playing outside. And I loved skateboarding. I loved I loved bike riding. I loved just going on adventures. I was just always outside. That's one thing that I will say about the generations after us. I feel like I actually played. Like I yeah. really loved to play. Yeah. I think we might actually be the last generation who knows what it feels like to grow up on like a cul-de-sac where you play like mm. capture the flag. <laughs> like, yes, even my younger exactly. siblings have no concept of what I'm talking about anymore. They like maybe got it up to like six, seven years old. But I mean, as like a 10 year old kid, like I was, you could run next door and like no adults on the street. You would like play until the street lights came yeah. on. Yep. You can't do that anymore. <laughs> and it's so weird. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. I would just get lost. Yeah. It, uh, it was like going home was like a punishment. When your parents mm -hmm. said you had to come in, it was like, no, I'm not coming inside. <laughs> no. no, it's crazy. So different. Okay. So Ash and I were also fangirling a little bit over Adulting Like a Mother Father, which is your podcast with your partner and fiance, Andrew. And one of the things we love that you did or do are your wins and fails at the beginning of every episode. So we wanted to kind of do something like that, but mm -hmm. do a win and fail as a teen. So do you oh, have, yeah. So do you have just like one or two pivotal moments? My wins will probably be around me hunkering down and focusing on my work because it was a lot of effort to kind of grow up in that way and like take it really seriously. I really cared about what I did and I put a lot of my self-worth in what I was doing. And so it was really important for me to win. You know, it was really important for me to win. And I think like my fail in that regard is the fact that I kind of left being a kid to the side. Um, and I didn't experience a lot of normal kid or teen type experiences that would have really helped me in the long time, in the long term with experience and just certain things that I know that I've had to work through because I didn't necessarily have certain experiences. Mm. So you said it's you and your brother. Are you yeah. older, younger? What's the age I'm difference there? older by about four years. Mm-hmm. I know as the oldest kid, there was always a lot more pressure on me to be on all the time, to be the role model for my younger siblings. I don't know if you and your brother had any dynamics like that. Oh, me and my brother are so different mm -hmm. in so many ways. You know, some would say that it almost feels like we grew up in different households, um, which I'm sure is so normal. But mm -hmm. yeah, in a lot of ways, I had a lot of pride around being the older sibling. I wanted to be the example. It's kind of actually been sort of a through line in my life. Mm -hmm. And I enjoyed being almost like a secondary parent to him. I mean, maybe, mm -hmm. maybe it felt like a lot um, at one point or another, but I took it very seriously. And I, I cared for him like he was, you know, my own kid. How was it like handling rejection when you're just like a child or teen because I mean when when you're an actor and you're in the entertainment industry like rejection is just a thing that's going to happen. Yeah. How was that as as a kid? How is that different from how you handle it today? Oh um yeah I mean I have a lot more acceptance around it today. I think I look at it 
because I've been through so much of it as I look at it lighter because I just think, well, if it's not meant to be, it's not meant to be. Some roles, I would say, hit me harder than others because I put so much effort and energy. And I think um, what I did wrong as a kid is I would have a lot of expectations. And um, like I said before, I, I used a lot of like ideology and manifestation to create these like stories in my head and um, these escapes. And so I put a lot of weight on opportunity. And so rejection was not easy for me. I mean, I had some pretty rough patches where like, I, I wouldn't want to do anything. Like if I found out that something had happened, something fell through, I was down for the count, like not healthy minded whatsoever. So had to work through that pretty quick because I knew that if I were going to stay, I was going to stay in this business, you know, that's just one of the biggest pieces of it. But it forced me to work harder, forced me to prioritize things over time. You know, I certainly have a much better work balance now, um, whereas before I, I don't think that I, I had as much balance. It was all or nothing. I mean, you sound so self-driven. I know or we know that of you as an adult in all of your endeavors now, but as a kid going through rejection and going through those waves of like elation and emotion, like prepping for these roles and working so hard, what worked for you in terms of like pulling yourself out of that? Do you remember having like any mantras or any like tactics or anything that kind of like helped get you out of those ruts? You know, something comes to mind when I was like probably about 13. I painted clouds on my ceiling above my bed. And then I printed out a whole list of opportunities that I wanted to check off. And I was super specific. I mean, I like had every single job that I'd ever wanted to do written down, typed up, and I put it on my ceiling, along with a check that I wrote out to myself. I don't know (laughs) where I mean, I know kind of where this drive for, for success came from. But I just focused on it. And when one thing fell through, I think the only thing that got me through it was knowing that there was more to do. Yeah, that's a great perspective because one of the things that we're constantly teaching our teen girls is that on the other side of failure, on the other side of, you know, falling down or or reaching, you know, a major disappointment, there's that like next step. And it's literally just like picking up one foot and putting it in front of the other. So, I mean, that's the perfect exemplary tale of that. I just like love that little visual of you. (laughs) I actually spoke about this um, when we were recording the show today with Andrew. Him and I have two very different outlooks, Mm. incredibly different outlooks. I have this abundance way of thinking where I am convinced that I will always be successful in some way, shape or form and nothing is too far out of reach. That's how I think, right? He thinks more strategically and there's a lot more detail and steps involved. And I think for people, especially young kids, I want to believe that we are a little more free with our thinking and we think of the big picture because there's so much more to experience when you're younger. You don't know Mm -hmm. what the future holds. So you kind of let your head just go and dream. That's kind of like the same mentality that I have to this day. And it's really served me well, not no, not so much monetarily or even in successful terms. It's just served me well as a human being because I feel like I don't get caught up in the weeds. If I feel like I'm getting stuck somewhere or I failed, I still have the big picture mentality. So I still 
have this like weird opportunistic way of thinking where it's like, okay, well that didn't work. I'm not going to focus on it too much anymore because it doesn't feel good. <laughs> it just doesn't feel good. Well, I think you're on to something. I mean, I we subscribe to that theory so heavily because I mean, I can't even tell you how many times as Bridget, Asha, and I have just kind of pulled ourselves up by the bootstraps. Like you hear the words no, and you can choose to stop. You can choose to like sit down. And there are portions of that that feel really, you know, it, it's hard on your self-esteem. It's especially hard when you're trying to build something for somebody outside of yourself. But then when you open up your mind, like you said, to that mindset of abundance, I feel like you open yourself to opportunities flowing in. And you almost like see more um, possible solutions too. I think that like open mind that it's like, okay, it doesn't mean just because this was a no or I got rejected here. It doesn't mean there is no way for me to find an opportunity there. I just have to think bigger and like, okay, maybe I just need to go around this obstacle or under it or try it again. So, yeah. Yeah. I think the bottom line is the, the idea, like, let's just use, let's just use success or, I mean, this is kind of silly, but it's like, let's just use money because we all kind of love money, right? We, we put a lot of value on money and success. So let's use that as like the object of that, the big picture object. We just want to feel comfortable and have an abundance of money. If I take a step that doesn't lead me in that direction, my big picture hasn't changed. I still want the money. Like nothing has changed. So now I just have to figure out, you know, what's next um, without getting stuck focusing on that. Because if that's not going to get me to the big picture, like I got to go. And I think that's partially due to acting, Mm -hmm. kind of deciding a lot of things for me, Mm -hmm. you know, and I would try for a lot of things, but it was out of my control when it didn't happen. And so I needed to figure out what was next after that. So that's kind of the way that I think. If you guys are anything like me, I can sometimes get into a pit of working without taking breaks. And before I know it, it's 3 p.m., I'm starving, and it's a little too close to dinner, and I need something quick to grab to eat and to nourish myself. Well, look no further. I have discovered the perfect snack. They're called Tosi Bars, T-O-S-I. They're absolutely delicious. They're primarily made with nuts. They make these delicious bars that are 8 grams of protein and 6 grams or less of sugar. They're just delicious. I'm obsessed with the peanut butter dark chocolate flavor and the cashew coconut. Try them out. You won't be disappointed. Now, so with Nickelodeon, I I don't really know exactly how it works, but most of the time you're usually playing a role that's younger than your actual age. Is that right? Mm-hmm. What was yeah. that like? Like, how did you step into those roles? Because I think you had been doing TV that wasn't like Nickelodeon beforehand, right? right? So was that a big shift for you, like stepping into those kinds of roles that were younger than yourself? And then how did you, like, how was it being on set as a, like a younger character and then stepping back into your life? Did you feel, was that natural for you or? Yeah, I had come from, you know, network TV, working a lot with adults Mm -hmm. and sort of a more high pressure environment I feel like these like like CBS ABC NBC all these that I felt like there were just closer eyeballs on me there was a lot I don't know a lot more pressure and I didn't have any kids my own age and so I remember being about 
16 years old and thinking like, I want to work in kids TV. Like, I don't care how old I am and how old I'm going to be. Like, I want to be on kids TV. And I had to fight for it because at the time, like Nickelodeon and Disney were looked upon as like almost a step down from network TV. Obviously, the money wasn't as good. And then, you know, it's just bigger comedy. It's bigger acting. Like you just apparently don't get taken as seriously. I think things have definitely changed because we've seen a lot of stars come off of those platforms that those networks. Um, And so I fought for it and I ended up getting on Nickelodeon. And I was so grateful for the experience because I loved working in an environment that I knew what we were making was in the homes of families. Mm -hmm. I like making families laugh. I like making family content. I felt even at a young age that if I were to stay in network TV and be taken, you know, a little more seriously as an actor that I would end up in roles that I didn't want to be doing. Mm -hmm. And so I liked playing younger. I still like playing for those audiences. I think that's what that's what I'm meant to do. I mean, it all makes such sense because we see who you are and who you have become off of these stories of your teen years and your youth. And then to see the trajectory of Daniela Monet as a young actress into Daniela Monet, the ethical entrepreneur and like amazing mommy to Gio and mm-hmm. Ivory. And just the way you speak about how you plan your day and like this the way that you speak to your partner I mean it's all like I mean we can see it come full circle and there's like you said a through line and a definite theme in your life of being Mm -hmm. that very caring individual even in the way that you just wanted to be in the homes of families as an actress thank you yeah it's really fulfilling you know I mean I think I got a taste of it and knowing like, you know, you could be sitting at a restaurant and kids are coming up to you. Like, in my opinion, that's a heck of a lot better than an older gentleman, you know, asking for who may not have seen more of your body <laughs> exposed than your own. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I'm good. <laughs> Do you ever feel like though, because I, I feel like those roles are really like, they're big roles. Like, especially I feel like at our event on voice that you, you came to and you were so wonderful at so many of the girls were coming they're like oh my gosh Trina Vega and they're like they're all wanting to ask you about like that role and, and it's amazing because that clearly that role gave you a really big platform on an audience specifically about that role like did you ever feel like limited by it or I like I didn't like your identity got caught up yeah. in it or, or entangled like, with it or like have you ever wanted to sure. it no I didn't and I don't I don't know I mean I think because I kind of, um, not even kind of, I, I definitely know my strengths and I know my lane. Um, I've been doing this a long time and, you know, maybe I, I'm not known for some of the older roles or the, the stuff I did younger before Nickelodeon, but I got a taste of what, you know, some other roles felt like. And I know my personality and I know this sounds kind of silly, but it's like, an independent film that I did or whatever, where I played this like pothead who was, you know, on house arrest with like her belly button pierced, trying to make out with some guy. Like those kind of roles to me never resonated, mm-hmm. never felt good in my body, couldn't shake them, didn't like the feeling of not being able to shake them, felt like I had to absorb that persona, mm-hmm. not my not my style. And so when I'm recognized as Trina, like, I'm cool with that. She's fun. She's silly. She's obnoxious. Like, she's harmless, but she's silly. And 
I enjoy my work because I enjoy the levity. I like bringing people that feeling of silliness. Yeah. What is it like? Because I feel like you have, you know, it's like obviously that was the start of part of your platform is your acting, but you have such a voice now on Instagram, on YouTube, and now on your podcast. I feel like you're so good. You're, you show up regularly and authentically with your audience, like basically every single day. Um, and I mean, I, I feel like when I see your stories pop up, I'm like, I can't help but watch them because there's something so magnetic about how just real and open you are. How does being on Instagram and kind of your channels differ from like the performance feeling that you had being on set? Mm, interesting. Um, yeah, I think there's a level of performance for sure. And I think that feeds that that piece of me that enjoys entertaining um, but there is very much so a level that is more therapeutic than anything. I enjoy connecting, even knowing that I'm not speaking to someone, obviously, face to face. I'm very much in tune with, you know, there are people on the other end of this and I want to be me. And I think that's important. I don't know. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. I could be you know, the anomaly here. I don't always get off on super curated content. Mm -hmm. I think it gives me the heebie-jeebies sometimes, <laughs> you know, especially, and I'm going to go out on a limb and be super honest, but like, especially when it comes to moms, yeah. um, now that that's the stage of life that I'm in and I see moms showing the most stunning snapshots of their life and their days. And it does us in my opinion, it does us a little bit of a disservice because there is so much hard work that goes into being a mom behind the scenes. And it can be a little bit upsetting when you see someone only show, and, I, and it, not only upsetting, but it can also lead people down a false road. Yeah. I thought I knew what it was to be a mom and I thought that I was very well equipped. Mm -hmm. But it was so much more and not in a bad way. It was just so much more. And sometimes so much work, it's amazing and it's gratifying. But I'm not going to sit here and say that it is easy breezy and I'm, you know, cheering, smiling and cracking jokes all day because that's not what's going on all the time. I know. I feel like it's almost like life pre-baby and then life as a mom. I, I felt like I was just born as a new person. I'm like, my existence to this point is ended. And now this new one has started. It's that like night and day different. But yeah, I mean, I think it's from what I've seen with your content with Geo and now with Ivory, it's, it is honest. And I think that that is like, if you're going to be putting content out, for it to be just like real and honest and like, not, not like here are all the answers that I figured out, but like, here are the things I'm working on. I don't have an answer yet. I'll let you know if I get one. <laughs> it's, it's, it's also a very conscientious and like responsible way to spread content, which again goes back to you being a very thoughtful, like big sister, mothering, <laughs> nurturing figure. Uh, yeah, that's what I imagine is, you know, there are still a lot of young mm -hmm. girls and, and guys that, mm -hmm. that watch me or, or know of me. I want everyone to, to family plan. Yeah. <laughs> I want yeah. everyone to be conscious when they're making decisions like that, because 
I'm not going to stop dreaming and it'll never stop me from dreaming, but it certainly puts the brakes on just a bit. I'm going slower now for sure. And it takes a lot more effort. It takes a lot more strategy and it takes a lot more support. And I'm lucky that I have that support in my partner because there's no way that I could even be sitting here, right? There, I just want everyone to know that, you know, responsibility is not a joke. And I just want people to be able to to wrap their head around that before diving down a cute little path with a cute little baby because <laughs> they are cute, yeah. but they need you. Yeah. Yes. Well, I also feel like, I don't know if you, you'd agree, but I feel like what you were talking about as like that feeling like you're performing when you're like an introverted extrovert. I sometimes when I'm with my baby, I feel like I'm kind of in that performance mode. Like, okay, I'm going to like read to her now or like teach her how to do something or like be really sweet and cuddly with her because I want her to feel my maternal impulses. <laughs> like it, it is kind of a, a performance on days when I'm really focused on that kind of thing. I'm exhausted when I just have a moment alone. So it's like another one of those kind of performance aspects that you're adding to yeah. your play. Oh yeah, for sure. There's no off switch with the mommy. <laughs> Never. It was really interesting when you were mentioning that like during the period of time that you were acting, you felt like that, you know, there were some things that you might've like missed out on because you didn't have that totally typical, you know, teen experience. You know, I feel like you have such a natural ability to connect with so many people that that might be something that you picked up in that period of time when you were forgoing sure. a normal youth. Yeah, no, I think that um, ultimately more good came out of it mm-hmm. than bad. I think what I feel mostly is that the lessons I would have probably learned during that time would have benefited me now, but it's not something I can't learn now. And it's not something I haven't like taught myself over time, you know, in my older years. So it's, you know, it's a give and take. And Mm -hmm. and I do believe that the confidence I acquired throughout my career, Mm -hmm. especially through years where, you know, you may not feel as confident has served me so well in so many aspects of my life. The one place I think it didn't serve me as well was when I was trying to basically fake it to make it in like dating and relationships because I had no experience, none. Yeah. Um, I was all, I was so focused on my career. I think the idea of dating and being in a relationship kind of like hit me on the head in my early 20s. And I was like, oh, I should do that now and didn't know anything about anything and thought that I had to perform my way, you know, through it. You know, I thought I had to represent my myself, um, which I, you know, in quotations, I wasn't necessarily representing my true self for a while because I just wanted everyone to like me and I wanted to impress. And it took me a while to sort of shed that idea that I had to, you know, be something for someone. Mm -hmm. So you you met Andrew pretty early on, though, right? Like, what was different? Yeah, stop dating or kind of even casually seeing other people, and like when you met Andrew, like, what was there like a switch that happened, or did it take time for you to even learn that through your early relationship with him? Oh no, it took time. So I had only casually dated I don't know a handful of people before meeting Andrew, and I met him when I was twenty two, and the difference with him was. He's from up north and he was no BS, you know, like he wasn't trying to really be anyone or do anything, you know, he was who he was. And it was like this true authentic self that I was so attracted to. 
Um, it was something that I knew, you know, they say you attract, you're attracted to people that like, maybe you want to be more like, or you're lacking in your own self. And I, at the time was on this like wild ride. It was like peak victorious years, traveling everywhere. I had not a second to myself. And my ego was massive. You know, I was making money. I felt powerful. And, you know, I, I would probably walk into a date probably with like Andrew would tell you, you didn't shut up, you know, and that was me like walking into a room trying to impress trying to sell myself. And I'm I sold myself he, he bought it. <laughs> but it took a while for me to stop selling myself, yeah. you know, and really just be okay with like who I was. And so that I mean, I would say I get I probably, it probably took me a good year, maybe even a year and a half. How long have you guys been together now? Um, we'll be together 10 years in, I don't know, a couple months or something. Amazing. So in the vein of you mentioned craving authenticity, and that's kind of what drew you to Andrew, you are what you call an ethical investor. You have your hands in many successful and like really great businesses, like businesses that aim to provide a service in a very sustainable and fantastic way for all of the people who buy into your products, who visit your restaurants. So what we want to know is how, because your partners all seem quite different and you are very consistent in your ability to show up genuinely and to be exactly who you are, how do you choose your partners? How do you foster these relationships and what draws you to them? One thing that comes to mind is people are very important as it relates to business. Like in terms of my investments I've made, I start with the people, you know, do I believe in the people? Do I believe that their intentions are good? Do I believe that they can handle this, you know, this amount of work, can they take this, this show to the finish line? Like, is this person capable? Um, do I trust them? And so I would say in a lot of cases, as it pertains to the businesses I'm involved with, the relationships have kind of happened organically. I've either known these people, I've had experiences with them, you know, Outstanding Foods was my very first experience investing what I felt was a very substantial amount of money um, at the time. And it all kind of happened because I was lucky enough to waitress at a restaurant that Dave Anderson, who's the chef of our company, Outstanding Foods, was the owner of. He worked, he was a chef there and he and his wife at the time owned this restaurant. And I fell in love with the restaurant as a diner. I was mm -hmm. dining there as a 16 year old girl with my license. This place was really expensive, but I, at one point, you know, offered to work there for no compensation. I wanted the experience. And I said, just pay me in food. Like, that's a good deal for me. So I worked there for a few years and became so close to Dave. And it wasn't until I was about 24 years old, I want to say, 
he called me up and said, hey, I have this opportunity and I would love for you to invest if you're in the situation. Meanwhile, I was pacing around my backyard that I had just purchased this home. <laughs> and I remember thinking, wow, this is really risky because I would do anything to support someone like him. He is the most humble and talented individual. He's the brains behind Beyond Meat, behind so many extremely, extremely profitable plant-based companies. And I wanted to be involved. And I said, I will do it. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll do whatever I can, even if it's risky. And um, that served me so well, because Bill, who Bill Glazer, who's our CEO, he is so well connected and has been such an extremely important mentor in my life and has helped guide a lot of the investments and partnerships that I have to this day. Um, and so it was just that one simple choice from an interesting little experience I had as a 16 year old girl that has really opened up doors that may have never ever opened had I not had that experience. That's one thing I do want to say real quick, and then I'll shut up. um, Because (laughs) one thing that no, no, there's one thing that I will say to these younger listeners that you may have, nothing's beneath you. I acted, like I said, since I was five years old. But when I was a young teen, I had, I worked at a a gym, I worked in a daycare, I worked at a jewelry retail store, I worked at a a restaurant, Um, I was someone's assistant, I babysat at night, I loved experiences and I loved meeting people in business and really just absorbing whatever I could from, from those opportunities. And so many of those opportunities, working at a gym, babysitting like kids, these people have been pivotal in opportunities to this day. I love that. Have you guys seen Undercover Billionaire? I love it. Let me explain the premise. They drop these billionaires off in an undisclosed area, these small towns. They have no idea where they're going. They give them $100 and they give them this like, barely existent vehicle to get around. They know no one. Yeah. They know no one there. Amazing. And they're supposed to build a million dollar business in 90 days. What that like what I'm saying is it's really about relationships. It's about problem solving. It's about believing in yourself. It's about believing in your goal. I mean, every single one of these billionaires were able to do it because they had the tools. They knew what it was like to network, to befriend people, to find people that could help. And it's about value for value. You're not just using these people along the way. Of course, you're going to create value for them. But those relationships and those tools are so important. It doesn't matter if you're working at a gas station or you're a janitor, you know, learning really how to, to get your hands dirty no pun intended, it trickles into everything you do. We completely agree. It's just creating these valuable relationships with people where you have transparent interactions. Like you said, not something that's transactional, but you know, transparent, honest, creating value by providing value also. I mean, I think those are the relationships that last you lifetimes. I think the same could be said in relationships, you know, with like spouses, partners, family, (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) It also like speaks to the point that like, you never know, like, I think there's sometimes a temptation to be your best self to the people that you think will like get you somewhere or do something or they're in a really high status. So you should really impress them. But it's like, you never know. 
anyone's real story. And like you could be checking out in a grocery store next to a person in dirty sneakers and khakis, and that could be a billionaire, you know, or mm -hmm. someone next to you might look like they're absolutely perfect and primped and have the per most perfect life. And they're having the worst day of their lives, you know, that mm -hmm. it, every interaction is an opportunity to be your, like your full authentic self and just available and open to interaction with people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So outside of acting, what is your favorite job that you've ever had? My favorite job, gosh, I loved all of them. <laughs> I loved all of them. Um, at one point, I loved them all so much. I was doing three of them at the same time. I was waitressing, working at the gym and at the jewelry shop and babysitting at night because I never wanted to stop either one of them. You know, I'll give you one because it was actually one of the more um, cooler opportunities I had. I was 15 years old and I was making jewelry of my own that I would sell to the wardrobe stylists that I would work with on any show or movie because they always had these crazy budgets. And I was like, I'm selling you jewelry because I know you have the money. I love it. Um, <laughs> so I walked into this retail store. It's called Theodore's. Mm -hmm. And I was wearing my own jewelry. And for some reason, I started to talk to the girl at the jewelry counter. I had no idea what the jewelry was in this counter. It was really expensive. Like, that tens of thousands of dollars, you know, mm -hmm. jewelry. I had no idea. I was wearing like beaded stuff. <laughs> and I sold her on the fact that I was this, I was a jewelry, jewelry designer. I was 15. And she, at the time, gave me a shot. She let me work this jewelry counter and I sold engagement rings. I sold jewelry to the Kardashians, Jessica Simpson. I ended up working for the Kardashians from this opportunity. And it was the greatest experience. Like I had to learn how to work a safe. I had to learn how to work a panic button in case someone came in to try to rob me. And um, I used to deliver engage. I I delivered an engagement ring to a guy oh at his gosh. office that he was going to propose to his, you know, soon to be wife. And I, um, from that experience, like truly, it gave me the confidence. It really gave me the confidence to sort of like do anything I feel like when you can just see this like flexibility in yourself that it's like yeah you know like I could I could be that I could fill this role or I can try I can relate to this person who I just talked to to the point that I can like step in and actually help her business that's mm -hmm. yeah and I loved commission <laughs> <laughs> you say commission and I'm like I can work yeah, with can. that <laughs> I'll be there speaking of kind of random like work opportunities. So I know that you also have your real estate license. When did you get your license and why? Um, I got my license five years ago and should have gotten it when I was 16 because that's when I first studied. <laughs> but the test intimidated me. Mm -hmm. And I got it because I always saw opportunity in real estate and I wanted to better understand it. And I always wanted a fallback plan. I knew that if I could sell myself in a room, I could sell people's homes, I can sell. That's great. And I knew that the sky was the limit because, you know, you can't put a cap on real estate. If you want to sell a $50 million home, like go for it. Right. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's been nice. I, I haven't used it, but I actually did. You'll be proud of me, Asha. I just hung my license with as a referral agent okay. <laughs> with a brokerage yeah. so I can make commission on people. I that love I refer. Well, it's so funny because I got my real estate license. It was after I finished school. And while I was in college, I was modeling and in college. And then I was just modeling. 
and I was like flying around city to city and I would see all these different like cities and just how they were laid out. And I was like, God, like realistic is like so interesting. And land is something that's like, I mean, I didn't, I always had an interest in like the stock market because, you know, I liked money and investment, but I was like, land is so concrete. So I just started studying for the real estate exam just, just because I was like, I need to study for something. I need to like learn something. And I, I took the test, but then I didn't do anything with it. it my, my license actually like lapsed. And then I like, oh no, yeah. And then I re-upped it. And just this past year while I was pregnant, like hung my real estate license. And I was like, you know, I live in Newport Beach and this is one of like the most interesting, just like luxury markets in the world, really. And it's just that, that kind of, I can totally relate to your feeling of just like. Accomplishment. Yeah. It's so tangible. So so like tangible. Yeah. I don't know if you agree with this, but like being an actress was really cool and it certainly had this cool factor, but at one point or another, it wasn't what I wanted to lead with. I, I didn't feel as proud to say I was an actress. I always threw it away when someone asked. Um, I'd be like, oh, you know, I act like oh, like everyone else in the world, you know? And so I think I've always seeked for more, just something that felt like, I don't know, more of an accomplishment. Which is so interesting because it's like when you think of accomplishment and acting, it's like you're literally, like you have the IMDb, like this, you are textbook like what it would have been to be accomplished as an actor. But I can totally, I can see what you mean, especially living in LA, growing up in LA, like you're on an elevator with someone and they're like, what do you do? And you say you're an actress and that you, it's like, that's sweet. <laughs> you know, I just think I know the reality of it. Like, cause I've lived it for so long. It's not what, like, I look at it so differently than what, you know, the average person would look at it as like, yeah. I know what the ebbs and flow feel like. I know how much downtime there is, how much hurry up and wait, how much you got this. No, you didn't. You know, like Mm -hmm. it just to me, like it started to feel less and less in my control. And so I wasn't as proud. Yeah, that's so interesting. My dad was in film growing up and he's since retired and Oddly enough, like my dad is not the type of person that just wants to sit around. So he got his real estate license like two <laughs> years ago. And he's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's a weird theme here. but Because we know how to yeah. sell. Yeah, no, and it's so great. And it- if you can sell something that's really an idea, whether it's modeling or commercial or a movie, or it's an idea. It's like this totally intangible. Yeah, you're selling this story of like, this is going to be your new living room. This is where you're going to host your friends eventually when COVID is over. (laughs) You know, your dog's going to pee on your rug in this room. (laughs) We tend to be chameleons. Yes. Because we are forced in so many ways to work with characters, you know. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't know about you, but like, you know, when I worked in film, film especially, but TV as well, you become a family so quick. You become everyone's everything so quick. You learn to adapt to so many different personalities and accept so many personalities into your life that like sales for me, I mean, being in in the room with different unique personalities, I think like it's actually quite of a cha- like a challenge I enjoy yeah. to relate, to find common denominators, to learn about one another, to to befriend. Right. I, yeah, totally. So it's like a new challenge each time. It's like, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I kind of observe and listen and then, and then kind of, yeah, chameleon, <laughs> not in the way that you're, you're, 
faking anything, but find no, yeah. of yourself that you can really genuinely actually connect with them and yeah. at their level. It's definitely a project in empathy. And I mean, I work in healthcare and I work for a private practice now, but similarly, you get, you know, a lot of characters, if you will, or a lot of different personalities. And part of creating trust and finding success in dealing with all different types of personalities is, like you said, creating that common denominator and being able to really, like, take a step back, like, figure out what the common goal is. I mean, it might be selling a house. It might be getting the show made. Exactly. (laughs) Thanks for all that you do. Nope. (laughs) I don't work in the hospital anymore, so I feel like I can't take on that kind of credit, but thank you. (laughs) Although she has had, between me and my sister, there have been life-saving moments. (laughs) You're their go-to. Everyone has that one friend in healthcare that you're like, I "I have you on speed dial. (laughs) I honestly, I've had to tell my family, like, don't send me any more pictures of things, especially without prefacing what it is. Like, I don't want to, like, I'll get pictures and I'm like, oh, what is that? (laughs) Oh my gosh. You gotta I don't want to know. Yeah, like, I love like, it. That, could oh, be a tooth. that could be like a finger. I don't know, but like, yeah. no more. I actually, oh I realized, so I kind of want to switch gears because I realized we haven't really even touched on your veganism and animal mm. activism and where it stemmed from. Because I remember I, I read in an interview that you actually became a vegetarian at age five and a full vegan at 11. Your reasoning is about the animals and just the humanity and the impact on their earth. Like, how did you find that? at such a young age and, and commit to that? Do you ever like explain that? Yeah, it kind of, I mean, sounds cheesy. It's like it found me. I was at a dude ranch and I saw a rodeo for the first time and I had never seen animals tortured like that right in front of my eyes. And what blew my mind was looking around and feeling so alone because everyone else was celebrating it. And I was just like, this is awful. I want to have nothing to do with this. And later that day on this same trip, we were eating in the cafeteria and they were serving these steaks from the cattle that they had raised on their land. And it all just came crashing down. I was really lucky because I had a dad who was understanding and and spoke to me like an adult and it all became very real. And I realized in that moment, I just... It was as simple as saying I didn't want to eat animals. I didn't know what vegetarianism was. I just was like, I'm not I'm not eating animals. I'm not going to be a part of that. And then when I was in sixth grade trying to find myself, about fifth grade, actually, I read a book. Well, a couple, a couple things at the same time happened that were so powerful. Mm-hmm. My uncle was slowly passing away of cancer. Mm-hmm. And they had someone come to my aunt's house to prepare vegan meals. while he was going through some of his last days, essentially. Mm -hmm. And the reason they did that was because they said, you know, cancer can't live in a high alkaline body. Um, We need to take out all the cholesterol and all these things and and put them on a vegan diet. And because I wasn't eating meat at the time, my aunt said, come, come by, you might like some of this food. I thought it was so weird. I was like, what is veganism? What's vegan cheese? What is this? But I was so intrigued at that point by the health aspects that I wanted to learn more. I read a book called Skinny Bitch. I remember that book. 
that book was hot for a minute. I read that. It's about factory farming. So they hook you with this whole like, you know, you can, I'm sure it was all about, there was some, I'm sure there was some innuendo about being skinny or whatever, but it was about factory farming. It was about the real truth behind Mm -hmm. the food industry and the business of food. I just, that was it. Yeah. I was like, oh, well, I'm, I'm not going to eat animals. I might as well not eat their secretion. Yeah. And that was it. Did you ever, have you ever like wavered or questioned that? No, never, ever. At this point, I don't, I mean, I haven't thought about it. Yeah. Like I haven't thought about any other way of life really ever since, but um, now it's so normal. I mean, you can say vegan to anyone and they understand yeah. for a long mm-hmm. time. I wouldn't tell people um, for a long time and um, I did my own thing and I just ate the way that I did and tried to keep it private. Um, But yeah, now it's very different. I feel like that's such a good point too when it comes to, I I feel like there are so many books and like things out right now about like habit formation. And I feel like that's such a good example of like you created a, a lifestyle change out of a belief right? Like you had this really core, like, this is who I am that I don't want to perpetuate this industry or um, be a part of this. And, and because you decided that this is who I am, this is how I live. And then it's something, it becomes something that you don't even question anymore. I mean, yeah, sure. I, I'm totally gluten-free because of my autoimmune past and cancer and everything. And everyone, it's it's been so long now that like, people are like, oh my gosh, like, do you crave it? <laughs> like, no, like, I don't even really think about it anymore. But it's because it's like been so established after such, such a long time. Yeah. And I think people think of it as being almost like you're deficient or you're, you're sacrificing something. But in reality, I feel like there's when you know when something works for you, like your case, mm-hmm. there's no reason to ever waver from it. Yeah. Especially if you like have that foundational belief, like in my, in my case, I'm like, I am the kind of person that does things that I I don't, I'm not drawn to things that I know harm me. Like that's a foundational belief. So it's like, if I know that the gluten is not going to be good for my health, I'm not going to be drawn to it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It kind of goes back to that theory of abundance yeah. as well. It's like instead of thinking about it from the perspective that you're lacking something yeah. or you might be desiring something just because you're, you know, quote unquote, restricting, mm-hmm. you look at it from the mindset of, no, this is the way that I live. These are my beliefs about animals and about factory farming and about food and about taking care of my body. So you provide yourself with the abundance that you know is nourishing to you. And mm-hmm. in the same way I that Asha's that. like, right. and that there's so yeah. many other options. So we, Keish and I were both listening to your recent um, Adulting Like a Mother Father episodes, which if you guys aren't listening, you really should. Daniela and Andrew are so authentic and have such a great natural chemistry and talk about really just interesting, compelling things. But you were talking about, someone had asked about formula, like if there's a good formula option. And I loved listening to your response because you were like, you know, I don't, I don't know. And you're like, but I am committed to being a part of that solution. And I was like, yes, girl, like just the way that you said (laughs) that, the conviction, literally, that's how you get things done where it's just like, I don't know yet, but I see that problem and I want to fix it. And I think that, I mean, Keish and I relate to you in that because like, that's how we felt with Bridget. We're like, okay, we don't know what it, what the tool is yet. But like we see that teen girls 
need a place where they can be free to be their full selves and that they don't need to be mentored from people that are telling them how to do things really formally and giving them this perfect path they need to take. But just being like, yo, like maybe we had different lives, but we probably had the same insecurities and like, yeah, I hated being a 13 year old too, you know, that, that we have a safe place to connect. So Keish and I were like, all right, like, let's try events. Okay. Like COVID shut down events. Okay. Let's try a podcast. <laughs> you know, that there's this, there's so many different ways to ultimately get to something. If you really believe that, like, I'm going to be a part of that solution. I do want to like go through, cause you, I mean, you're a part of so many cool businesses now. Um, I had to like write them down. So I was like, I can't, I can't forget all of them, but, uh, outstanding foods is your first one. So those are the, the pig out chips. So they taste like bacon basically but yes. not at all we have the pork rinds and yeah. now we have meal in a bag puffs or takeout puffs so cool. do you have a favorite flavor oh yes um nacho cheese usually any of the cheese flavors are just they're mm. bomb and and the and anything hot and spicy yeah. mm. <laughs> can't do it now but i will eventually when i'm done breastfeeding <laughs> Oh man, breastfeeding. It's how are you doing with that? <laughs> I mean, I feel um, like every breastfeeding mother. I mean, I, I've heard from a few people that are like, "Oh, breastfeeding's been so easy and it's beautiful," and I'm like, "What?" <laughs> yeah, I wanted that experience. I, I bless those women because it's that's great. Bless them. But yeah, um, I'm struggling this time a lot. I struggled with geo in the beginning. I think that's pretty normal. But I had mastitis a handful of times. Like really struggled, um, but got to 11 months, but I was pregnant and my milk for ivory came in. And when it changed, Gio decided he was done. So he yeah. completely stopped nursing one day at 11 months. Wow. Um, oh. And then with ivory, I know I was like, I'm not prepared. Yeah. What? And then yeah. I felt guilty because I'm like, oh my gosh, he didn't ask for this like baby and the new milk to come in. Like, oh, it was hard. But Ivory has a really, really shallow, narrow latch. So okay. she does not, I mean, in plain and simple, like she yeah. just doesn't latch well. And I've, I'm exclusively breastfeeding and have been, but I am just torn up in all ways, shapes and forms. Like yeah. I can't even begin to explain. I'm sure you do understand yeah. to some degree, but it's wild because it's yeah. just like, I'm just trying to get to a year and I just had to like wrap my head around being in so much pain. I mean, I've gone to every doctor, I've hired every specialist and I'm just hoping and, she gets better. Yeah. And you're doing the work with your daughter too. I mean, you've talked about it on your podcast. It's not an easy feat to have to massage her while she's healing, like massage her gums, you know, four yeah. times a day. Yeah. It's a lot. Yeah. 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 Yeah, had really bad, um, my daughter had really bad reflux in the beginning. So that meant that she was con like, she, she could latch hard, but then she was constantly unlatching because she was in so much pain. So it was like constantly burp her and then get her back on. So it was like, each time I would feed her, it was like 40 different times that she was latching onto me. And by the end, I think just like the emotional Oh, the sweating. The, yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Andrew would, my, my, I have an Andrew also. Yes, I know. <laughs> he would walk in and I'm like, oh, she's crying and I'm crying. He's like, hi. And I'm like, she does. My milk is making her sick. <laughs> and he was just like, you're wonderful. Respect. And I feel like every mama just, there are so many different journeys and every birth is going to be different. It's just, I think such a lesson in like we use improv exercises with our girls at multiple events yeah. to kind of get them building confidence in the sense that they trust their impulses and they know that like 
I can just show up as me and however I react in the moment without stopping to question what I'm doing is good, you know, and like, it's never the end of the world. I feel like I've never felt that power of improv as much as being pregnant and becoming a mom and just being like, well, Oh yeah. Here in the you have to be very <laughs> Yes. Uh, yes. That's a great way of thinking about it for sure. It's You're just so present. Yeah. <laughs> we'll go back to the businesses a little bit because there's still several on the list. Um, Sugar Taco. So that's again in that vegan vein. It's a local um restaurant here yeah. in LA. Um, mm-hmm. I love to post it on your stories and everything. And congratulations on your new location. Yes. Thank you. Oh, thank you. It's so awesome. So amazing. Um, and then I don't know if this was in order, but Kinder Beauty Box. Was that yes. the one? So um, Kinder Beauty, um, Kinder Beauty, Sugar Taco were about the same okay. time. I think Kinder Beauty was probably a little before then. Um, but that was my first experience like being a founder and less of an investor. Yeah. So cool. And then Sprouted, was that, mm-hmm. that was more recent, obviously, like with Yes. Gio. Yeah. Um, so I was pregnant with you. Almost like reflections of things you- My stages of life. On. Yeah, like reasons <laughs> that you wanted. Yeah, right? for sure. I know. Yep. You didn't love the Sprouted diapers. They're so, they're just like such a good- it's, it's funny and not until you like become a mom and actually see how many products there are on the market and how many products are created because the companies know moms have fear. I'm so glad you said that because that's one of the biggest like grounding forces behind Sprouted. Every meeting we had initially before launching was about simplifying because I don't like being sold to inauthentically there's a need for everything and we're all consumers right so like I understand that we're going to be selling and we're going to be sold to but when someone tries to prey on you know that like vulnerability and that fear and that like newness it's not cool like I won't create a product via sprouted that isn't something that I would use or and or consolidate like if we were to ever come out with any sort of bomb or wipe or whatever it may be like I'm looking to take less off your counter let me tell you let's simplify we have too much to think about our brains are spent like let's get down to what works the basics the cleanest and just yeah make it easy I know. So Andrew started Drew Coffee, which we also yeah. tried is excellent. My oh, Andrew and I are total coffee snobs. Like we do the espresso and it's like, if a shot's not right, like Andrew will throw it out. I'm like, it's probably fine. He's like, no, I'm making another one. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. our Andrews would get along very well. They could probably I take all of the ones that he's about to throw out. I said, no, yeah. I'll ice that later. <laughs> I know. I'll just have two. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You know, so he like, he finally did it, you know, I'm sure you guys can all relate. It's like you all have these ideas or these passions that you're into. And it's like someone needs to just push you off the cliff. And um, and when we had kids, Andrew decided it was finally time to leave, you know, the business world. And I said, at some point, at some point, don't put a timeline on it. But at some point, you're going to figure out what your niche is. And I always knew all along it was coffee and he had to figure it out on his own. And here we are. 
This episode was brought to you by Rachel Pally. Rachel Pally Clothing is gorgeous. She has all sorts of pieces and pieces for maternity, plus size. She really has made clothes to fit and flatter every woman. She wants to make a woman feel her most beautiful. And trust me, she does it so elegantly and so easily. Go to rachelpally.com. You can use the code BRIDGET20 for 20% off. Have fun. In all of the iterations of Daniela Monet, in all of your multi-hyphenate roles, and in everything that you've done in your life, how would you describe yourself? Like, what would your byline be? First thing that comes to mind is mom, (laughs) (laughs) because that is so fulfilling right now. And then I'd love to throw big sister in there, and I would love to throw in boss and lover of life. Well, I know so we can't keep you forever. So I guess we should start wrapping things up. We always like to end our interviews um, with a fast five, um, just five quick questions and just answer with whatever comes to mind. Okay. Okay. Ready for the fast five? I'm ready. Okay. okay. Number one, song is a soundtrack slash anthem to your life. The one in Clueless when they're walking in the school. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Wait, is that right? Do I have it right? What is it? It's like his pants are sagging and yeah. like the music's going and they're walking. She's in her cute little yellow. Like as if. Yep. Yes. I was like, you're not talking about the all by myself moment, right? <laughs> no. Like, by the water fountain. You're like, <laughs> that's actually my favorite period song. My sister and I joke about it. It's like, period song, like yeah. oh, <laughs> when you're laying in bed and you're just like, oh, miserable. Oh, you have your period. Oh, my God. <laughs> I love it. Okay, Ashi, you get number two. It is like, it, this can be any of these things. A midnight craving snack, a go-to snack, a pregnancy snack, or a breastfeeding snack. Honestly, I've been like more pre- like hungry breastfeeding, breastfeeding than I yeah. ever was pregnant I so know. What's like your snack oh like a buttery salty popcorn oh oh yeah. yeah popcorn I uh, it's like a bottomless pit just mm-hmm. keep yeah. it coming yeah yep oh, good answer okay least favorite workout move oh um it used to be squatting I used to not love legs until I realized how good it looks when you do them mm-hmm. <laughs> during and after yeah yeah I don't know I don't really have a good answer because right now I'm craving to work out but I just don't have the time or energy so I feel like right now I'm just going to tell you I love it all even though I haven't made the time for it yeah I wonder why next next time you're in the gym and it's like the move that you're like oh no. I hate this. I'm gonna be like, no, I'm so grateful to be here. Right? Abundance mindset. Abundance. Yeah. I feel like the the like most intense athletes when I'm working out now are like the moms because it's like I've got 55 minutes to be here. I am going to crush this freaking workout. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're so right. I know that that's how I'm gonna be. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what is the most annoying thing about being a vegan, if there is anything? Oh, um trying to convince people that you're okay <laughs> that you're getting enough that you're fine that you're healthy what is one thing you'd like to set the record straight for with your fans that I'm pro- that I'm not like Trina 
I think sometimes for, for years I've heard, oh my gosh, you're so different than I would have imagined. And I'm like, you realize I was yeah. paid to play a role, right? <laughs> or usually they'll say, oh, you're so much nicer than I thought you'd be. And I'm like, oh no. Because oh. for years, even prior to Trina, you know, if you want to talk about stereotypes, I was always the bitchy girl. Mm-hmm. I was always the bitchy girl because I was dark hair. I couldn't be the nice girl. The nice girls were always blonde. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think for years, oh, Ellie 101, right? I think yeah, was- Ellie 101. I mean, pretty much everything leading up to Victorious. Yeah. We're all brunettes in this room. <laughs> I know. I know. It's so weird, right? Actually, it's I'm- cool. One of my friends is a writer who's a writer on Baby Daddy. And mm-hmm. she apologized to me at one point. She says, she said that she felt bad that she fell into stereotyping me down to every T that you could imagine and that she will look at other roles differently now, like moving forward. She wants to like, make sure that she gives, you know, I guess brunettes and blondes, like no stereotype. Yeah. That's really nice of her. Talk about loving hearing about growth, like personal Mm -hmm. growth. It's just, that's great. Mm -hmm. It's pretty cool. Well, I guess we'll close it off just with one more little prompt question. If you're looking back on your teen self, What's one attribute that you had, but maybe you didn't see the value in back then that you appreciate so much more now that you're an adult? My willingness to like my, my heart, I never liked Like if there were kids that felt left out or didn't have good friends or whatever, I wanted them to feel included. I wanted to like show them that I loved them or that, you know, I thought they were cool or awesome. And I'm, I feel grateful that I felt that way at a young age. I feel like that's something that's definitely stuck around with you too. Yeah. Mm, that you. feels like it's pretty true to you. Yeah. Oh, thanks. I, you know what? We all need reminders though. You know, it's funny thinking about your kid self. It, it's really like twisted my brain up a little bit, just thinking about, you know, how much you have grown, but in so many ways, like we're still that person. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. I mean, you've done this time with us after a very full day and two sweet babies and a family mm-hmm. and a million things on your plate. So we're so appreciative that you're here with us right now, um, that you'll forever be a part of our Bridget community and that all the time that you've spent with us in the past. So thank you, Daniela. Mm-hmm. Such a treat to talk to you tonight. Thank you, girls. I'm so glad you guys are doing this for the community and thank I can't you. wait to get back in person with everyone. Oh, we can't wait to be reunited. Oh, the best. Keep on keeping on, everyone. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Good night. And that's our show. If you liked what you heard today, please like, subscribe to, follow, and share Meet Bridget with your circle. The best way to help our work here is to rate and review our podcast. We're listening and constantly working to build something helpful for you. Catch you next time. Did you have an awesome time? Did you drink awesome shooters and listen to awesome music and then just sit around and soak up each other's awesomeness?